Wow. Drummer Boy gets better every single year, and I don't have any idea what 2020 is going to do to top 2019, because that was incredible. Uh, awesome job, students. Thank you to our friends from Prairie View A&M. Thank you to our friends from Burundi. That was awesome. And that's gonna happen one more time today, so if you need to stick around for the 11.30, hey, you're invited. Uh, I told you it is an incredible weekend to be here at Community of Faith, and uh, it's Drummer Boy, it's best gift, and we wanna continue in our time together by worshiping through our tithes and our offerings. Now, I, need to, I just need to say this, because it might throw somebody off a little bit. Um, if you're here for the first time especially, we don't normally take two offerings, okay? That would, that would be kind of concerning to you, like, wait, wait, two, uh, but we do take two on Best Gift Weekend because Best Gift is an opportunity for us to go above and beyond what we normally give with our tithes and our offerings, and all of that goes out around the world, and we're going to be taking that specific offering at the end of our service today, so if you're here for the first time, don't let that um, cause any panic for you, but we are going to go ahead and now and give our tithes and our offerings, not our Best Gift, so if you see a bucket under your row, uh, just take that and pass it down. The second bucket is there for later, so just leave that one there. Go ahead and pass those down, drop your prayer requests, um, your offerings, your tithes in there. If you're online watching us, we're thankful that you are joining us this morning. You can also participate in the giving today by just texting COF GIVE to 77977. You can also do that in the room this morning. Um, as you walked in, you probably received one of the Love is the Mission booklets. Um, we've been passing these out over the last several weeks. This is just a simple, um, quick way to catch up on a lot of the stories that are happening across the world as well as in our city because of your generosity to Best Gift. And so uh, take this home, uh, spend some time reading through these incredible stories of life change. You know, we had to send this to print by a specific date. And even since we sent these to print, we've had story after story after story coming in explaining all the things that God is doing as uh, we've leveraged what we've been given to make a difference here at home and all around the world. So take that, check it out. You'll also see a card in there. There's some instructions on how to give to Best Gift specifically. You can use that for later in the service as well. Um, but it's an incredible time. I also wanna make just one quick reminder. If you plan on giving at all in 2019 and you want that to go to 2019 contributions, you need to make sure you give those before December 31st or at least have them postmarked before December 31st. We're wrapping up Best Gift today, and uh, it's been an incredible time, it's been an incredible teaching series, and uh, before Mark comes up and teaches this morning, take a look at this video. I grew up in Mutakura, a neighborhood not far from the dump, and from a young age, I hated poverty and determined to get out. My dream was to get as far away from this place as possible, and I did. This past year, I returned to Buterere to work on a pilot project with a fortified porridge factory, feeding 50 children in this neighborhood for three months. It was the first time I returned to this neighborhood. It was no longer a dump surrounded by empty space. As the city of Bujumbura grew over the last 30 years, so did the city dump. 30 years ago, it was a small island of dump. Today is a sea of dump with a whole community around it. People living from the garbage of others. As I started coming here over the last set of months, I realized an alternative economy is being built here. 
This economy is based on daily scavenging. The trucks come in from the city piled high with garbage. People, often kids, crowd around the trucks to begin picking through the garbage, looking for anything that can be repurposed and resold for some money. They look for scraps of food that can be made into a meal for their families. But there is nothing else in this neighborhood. No church, no school, no market, no health clinic. Just the mounds of garbage, feral dogs and other small animals, and the bad smell that infuses every corner of this place. I imagine it is hard to dream here, to envision another future beyond all this ugliness and hopelessness. Lately, my own dreams have been interrupted by images of the dump and life here. I can't escape it. The idea that children are growing up here, locked into the worst kind of poverty, it's as if the spirit is stirring something, wanting to do a new thing in the dump. The prophet Isaiah imagines a dead tree stump, good for nothing. But in his dream, a tender green shoot sprouts out of the dead stump. No one expected anything good from a useless stump. New life from an obviously dead thing. But the spirit moved in his dream, and it gives me hope that they can be goodness from garbage, a different kind of life for families in this dump. So I'm dreaming about transforming this economy. I am imagining repurposed garbage and new industry and good jobs for these families. I wonder if there could be a school here or a health clinic over there, or a grocery store over there. Maybe flowers could grow here again. Maybe kids can dream here. Dream with me. Pray for these families and this place. Believe with me that the Holy Spirit can do something new in this place. Thank you. I love Claude's vision. Claude is on our staff. He's our man on the ground in Burundi. We've seen amazing things happen, and this is going to begin this year. Your best gift that you're going to give in a few minutes is going to make a difference for that, as well as all the other things that are going on around the globe. And I am just so proud of you, Community of Faith. I just want you to know that this is the kind of church that I've always dreamed of, a church that is more interested in making a difference in people's lives in the poorest country on the planet who live off the dump of the poorest country on the planet. We're more interested in that than, than just even just taking care of ourselves and our own stuff and our own things. And I love that about you. Well, community of faith, Merry Christmas. How are you doing today? How many of you would rather be here than at the outlet mall right now? Oh yeah. Some of you saying, I got to go to the outlet mall right out of this, right? 
But, uh, you know, it, it's a good thing. Uh, you know, I love Christmas. I love kids at Christmas because you always know what they want. They let you know real clearly what they want. My little granddaughter, Zoe, she wants, I mean, just, she just, all she wants for Christmas is a nail stamper. What is a nail stamper? It's like a Barbie nail stamper. And like, you can put things on your fingernails, like flowers and stuff like that. And, and so she's four. She's coming the week after Christmas, so if I come up with flowers on my nails, you'll know what's going on, you know. Before the service, you saw some of our social media that's going out. Some of the staff interviewed Laura and me. What was your best gift at Christmas? And I said, well, I got engaged to my wife at Christmas, so I'm going to say my best gift was my beautiful wife. And, and, and then they said, and Laura, you? And she said, a Barbie camper. <laughs> I'm like, you know, but... Uh, she just remembered when she was really little and she just dying for a Barbie camper and Santa brought it. It was this amazing thing, you know. But there's always someone, isn't there, that you don't know what to get. I mean, it's that person you never can figure out what to do for them because they already have everything, right? I mean, there's always someone in your life. What do I get? Every year I'm kind of stumped by one or two people in my life. Like, what do I get for them? They already have everything. Well, you think that's bad. Think about giving a gift to God. That's my question today. What do you get for a God who has everything? And we're lucky because he told us. So we're going to look at that. Would you pull out your sermon notes, if you will? They're right there in the middle of your little worship guide. And it's so interesting because God told us really clearly. In fact, 700 years before Christ... There lived a prophet by the name of Micah. And Micah's prophecy, it's so interesting. Micah prophesied of Jesus coming. In fact, for some of you, you love stats. Think about this for a minute. 300 prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled by Jesus during his 33 years on this planet. 300 Scientist Peter Stoner calculated the odds of just seven of these being completed by any one man. It was things like he's going to be born in Bethlehem, was going to uh, be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver. These are all in the Old Testament. What, you know, was going to be silent before his accusers. There was like so a whole lot of them, and a lot of them that that person couldn't try to figure out and determine. So he took seven difficult ones, and he calculated the odds of one person doing that. He said it was one in 10 to the 17th power, 10 followed by 16 zeros. To kind of put that in perspective, he said that would be like taking that many silver dollars, they would cover the state of Texas two feet deep, all right? And then taking another one, and putting a, a, a red X on it, dropping it somewhere in the midst of all those silver dollars in the state of Texas, and, and mixing the whole thing up, and then getting a volunteer, blindfolding him or her, and, and saying, you walk anywhere you want in Texas, but the first one you pick up has gotta be the one with the X. That's the chances of just seven of those prophecies being fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled 300 of them. Micah, uh, if you look at, his prophecy, here it is. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, 
from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Now Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. Jesus was going to be born in Nazareth because that's where they lived. But the great Caesar Augustus himself, the emperor of basically the known Roman world at that time, all of the world almost, that was known at that time, decreed that everyone must return to their city of origin where their ancestors came from so that he could take a great census and know how many citizens and know how many people were in Rome, the Roman Empire at that time, especially so he could tax them. And so Mary and Joseph, even though she's very pregnant, had to return to Bethlehem and there Jesus is born like Micah prophesied. But this same prophet Micah, 700 years before Christ, he also tells us what it is God wants from us. So what do you get for the God who has everything? Let's listen into what Micah says. He says in Micah chapter six, verses six through eight, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil, of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah is saying, if it's not the quality of the gift, he says that, shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Now the Jewish priest said that a calf a year old was the perfect sacrifice. It was the perfect time. It was, it was the highest quality of sacrifice. And Micah is saying, no, that's not it. If it's not the quantity of the gift, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of olive oil. He said, no, it's not how much. That's not it. If it's not even giving the ultimate sacrifice, he goes on, shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's talking about, what, you know, that some of the pagan tribes around Israel this time offered their children in the fire to the god Molech. God hated that. But he said, that's not what I want from you. I, I'm not interested in that. In fact, I detest that. There's something I'm looking for from you. So what's wrong with all of these things? Those answers only deal with the outside. And God wants your heart. You see, the Jewish religion had become this thing of ritual on the outside that wasn't affecting the inside. You can be very religious and yet very far away from God. And God rejected every offer made by the Israelites because they'd completely missed the point. See, what they were trying to do was work a deal with God. It wasn't unlike American religion today, you know, where God, I'm going to attend church. God, I'm going to give some to you. God, I'm going to do this. And we kind of got a deal, right? You're going to watch out for me. You're going you're gonna to do something for me. You're going you're gonna to make sure nothing goes wrong with me, right? And, and God's going, that's not, that's not how it works. See, God wanted their hearts. And so that brings us 
to the right answer in verse 8. And this verse has been called the heart of the Old Testament. And it really sums up what God wants from you and me. In fact, it's the kind of verse you ought to commit to memory. It's the kind of verse you might want to write on a little note card or something and stick it on the bathroom mirror so that every morning you remember exactly what God looks for in your life. So what does God want? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly. The Hebrew word, mishpat. In the Bible, the concept is applied in some very concrete ways. Caring for the poor, caring for the under-resourced, remembering the widows and the orphans, not plowing, if you're a rich person who has many fields, not plowing the corners of your field, leaving them so the, the poor people can come through, the ones that don't have any food, and they can harvest for themselves that food you would leave, a lot of it standing around the edges. And that was one of the things that God asked them to do, speaking the truth, paying a fair wage, having honest scales, refusing to take advantage of the less fortunate. Galatians 5.14 says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, you might want to write this down, a simple definition of justice. I didn't put it there for you, but this is so easy. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the definition. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then he says to love mercy. The Hebrew word is chesed, which means loyal love or patient love. It's the word sometimes translated his mercy endures forever. It means loving the unlovely, loving the people who, who don't even, aren't able to love you back. It's the kind of love that God has for us when he says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It speaks to our obligation to care for people who may not even care for us. A simple definition of mercy, if you want to write it down, doing unto others as God has done unto you. Doing unto others as God has done to you. In just a few days, 2019 is going to be over. It'll be finished. It'll be history. Some of you are going, thank God for that, right? It's been a tough year. Some of you are going, no, it's been a great year. I hate to see it end. Some of you are going, like, 2020 freaks me out. It sounds like sci-fi or something, right? But I want you to think back just for a minute this morning, just for a few moments. Think back across the year. What has God done unto you? this year how has God treated you this year has God blessed you then bless others has God forgiven you then forgive others are you holding on to something you won't let go of let it go has God lifted you up when you were down then reach out and lift someone up has God overlooked your faults then overlook the faults of your husband I just thought I'd add that. <laughs> Hosea, a contemporary prophet of Micah said, God says this, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I want you to have mercy. I want you to love like I do. And then the last thing, to walk humbly 
with your God. It's the opposite of pride. You see, what is humility? Humility, it's, it's having a right view of yourself because you have a right view of your God. Humility does not mean saying, I'm nothing, I'm scum, I'm a worm. You know, that, that, that's self-pity. That's a form of pride, really. Humility doesn't do that. What is, what is pride? It's having too large a view of yourself because you have too small of a view of God. When your God is big, you'll be small. When your God is small, you get an inflated view of yourself. When your God is big, pride will be impossible. This is humility. God, you made me. I belong to you. Every good thing I have is a gift from you. Some people have more. Some people have less. That's not my concern. I thank you, God, for what you've given to me. And I'm going to do the best I can, Father, with what you've given me. I'm going to leave the outcome to you. If we live that way, it'll save so much trouble. We won't have to get into that power game at work. We won't have to live in the rat race. We won't have to sell our convictions to get ahead. We won't be angry at the silly little criticisms that people might make of toward us. See, humility enables us to be who we are in Christ. And we don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks. We don't have to worry about what anybody else has. Jesus never did. Now, one of the one of my favorite little passages about Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 9. And it's one of those times when he gets really criticized by the religious people because he doesn't do what he thinks they should they think he should do. And so um, let me just read it to you and listen to this. Now it happened, as Jesus said at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. Quoting Hosea, the prophet, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It reminded me of a story that I had heard some time ago about Pastor Tony Campolo, and I'll just close with this. Pastor Tony had been traveling all around the world. He had, he had been speaking all different places and um, he came into Hawaii for a conference and he was super jet lagged. And so he was, he was so off time-wise. Some of you know how that feels when you get that, that jet lag that he was really hungry. It was three o'clock in the morning and he was hungry and he wasn't in a fancy hotel, so nothing was open in the hotel. He went down the lobby, looked around. He went outside in Waikiki. He's kind of downtown Waikiki. Nothing's open. Finally, as he's walking around, feeling kind of exposed, you know, 
He finds this right off an alley, this little dive of a diner that was still open at three in the morning. And so Pastor Tony goes into there and he gets some coffee. They had donuts and stuff. So he was eating donuts. It's 3.30 in the morning and in walk about nine prostitutes who had just finished their business for the evening and they actually sat at the counter all around Tony and Tony was going like, oh, what if my pastor friend saw me now? What would they be thinking, you know? And they were talking about what had gone on that evening. They talked about, and so Tony was uncomfortable. He was getting ready to get up and leave when he heard the lady right next to him say, hey, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm gonna be 39. The other lady that was beside her said, so what, who cares? What do you want me to do, throw you a party? You know, I mean, what are you, why are you telling me that? And the first lady said, you don't have to put me down. You don't have to be so mean all the time. I'm just saying it's my birthday. She said, I've never had a party. Not in my whole life. My parents never gave me a, I never had a party when I was a kid. Why would I have a party now? I'm just saying, I'm turning 39, it's my birthday. Instead of slipping out, Tony had an idea and he stayed. And then the ladies left a few minutes later and he asked the guy that was behind the counter, he said, do they come in every night? He goes, every night, 3.30, like clockwork. And he said, the lady next to me, does she come in every night? He said, that's Agnes. She comes in every night at 3.30. This is kind of their tradition. They'll come in here and grab a little bite to eat before they go off to bed. And Tony goes, I got an idea. He said, she said it was her birthday. Why don't we throw Agnes a party tomorrow night? It's her birthday. And the guy behind the counter thought about it. He kind of got a little smile. He goes, I like it. Let's do it. Found out his name was Harry. And Harry goes, I'll bake a cake. And Tony goes, I'll take care of decorations. So the next night at 2.30, Tony Campolo goes into the little dive and he's brought all of these, you know, cardboard, cray paper stuff to decorate. It says, happy birthday, Agnes, in a big thing across the back wall. He said about 3.15, he didn't realize it, but Harry must have got the word out because he said he thought like maybe all the prostitutes in Waikiki came to the diner to see what was gonna happen. And it was packed out. Sure enough, at 3.30, clockwork, in walks Agnes and those other ladies and everybody yells, happy birthday, Agnes. And she's just like looking around, she can't believe it. She's about to lose it, and then when Harry brings out the cake with all the candles on it that says, happy birthday, Agnes, she totally loses. She just starts weeping uncontrollably. Well, Harry, he's not used to seeing a prostitute weep in front of him, you know? So he's like, "Um, blow out your candles, Agnes, you know? Cut the cake, and she blows her candles out, makes a wish, and then everyone goes, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. And she says, uh, through her tears, Harry, uh, uh, I, Harry, um, I, well, what I want to ask is, would it be okay if we don't cut the cake yet? Because I would like to just kind of look at it for a while. And, and if that's okay, and Harry goes like, well, sure, Agnes, knock yourself out, you know? And so what she does, she stands up and she picks up the cake and she walks out the door like she's holding the Holy Grail. 
you know. And she's gone. She's out the door. Everybody's looking around. They don't know. I mean, what just happened, you know? The birthday girl's not even there anymore. And so they're looking around. They look at Tony. Everybody's looking at Tony. What do we do now? And Tony goes, let's pray. And so he gets up on a chair in that little diner with about half the prostitutes of Waikiki. And he begins to pray for Agnes. And he prays over her. To God to bless her on her birthday. For her to know that God loves her. And that he cares about her. And he hasn't forgotten her. And then he, he, he stands back down. And Harry looks at him and says. Kind of you know perturbed. I didn't know you were a preacher. What kind of church do you go to? Anyway, what kind of church do you have? And you know every once in a while. Even for preachers. Just the right words come. And Tony said, Harry, I go to a church that throws a birthday party for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry goes, no, you don't. He goes, there's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I would join it. Yep, I would join it. And Tony Campolo said, Harry, there is a church like that. It was founded by a man who did exactly that. His name is Jesus. And Harry said, tell me a little more about that. Community of faith, you're that kind of church. Many of you are volunteering out at the landing here in Houston where those ladies in sex trafficking and, and in prostitution out on Bissonette and around they're coming in and having a safe place together and people that care about them and a good meal and a place to put their stuff in a safe place that has a locker and you're there and you care. The little girls from Hope Rising that you've pulled out of sex trafficking, the things that you're doing around the globe. It, it's, it's amazing. It's an incredible to me. That's the church that I long. When Laura and I came back from Mexico City where we were working there, I, I thought, I dream of a church that's different and that is you well we're getting ready to give our best gift every penny of what we give goes out around the globe not even administrative costs stay here out of this offering and you've brought your best gift you're thinking about your best gift you say well how much I mean you know you just talked about how much do I give it's not the quantity I'll tell you how much God wants you to give. He wants you to give enough that your heart follows it. And for some of you, you're going to need to double what you were thinking or triple it, okay? For some of you, I, one guy talked to me and he goes, I had all this I was going to give. It was going to put me in bad financial hurt and I'm ready to give it. And God just said, give half that much. And he said, Is that, could that be God? And I said, oh yeah, it's God. He just wants your heart to follow. He's got your heart and he sees it. You see, your heart, Jesus said, where your treasure goes, your heart follows. I'll give you a real quick example in my life. The OU Sooners, Oklahoma. When I lived in Oklahoma as a kid, I hated the Sooners because everybody was so cocky, you know, those, those, those Sooner fans. I love Oklahoma Sooners. Now, why? Three of my kids went there. All three of my kids went there. And where your treasure goes... Your heart goes. So I'm a huge Sooner fan now because they've got so much of my treasure, right? 
That's what God is saying about his kingdom. I want your heart to get there. I want your heart for my kingdom. So you can give. Some of you brought that to give to put in the offering baskets. Some of you need to do the text to give. You can do that online. If you're at home, you can be involved with us to make a difference if you're watching online right now. Our kids are gonna give first. So I'm gonna ask the band to come out and they're gonna begin to sing and your kids are gonna come in, the older ones from over there, and show us the way and then we'll give our offering in just a minute. So would you give a hand for our kids as they come in? Let's give the kids a big hand. We love you kids, we're proud of you. That's why they've been digging for change in the couch and everything else, right? I love it that they're showing us the way. So guess what? Now it's our turn. Are you ready? You ready to do it? Look down underneath your seat. If you see another bucket, pass that to the other side. You can text to give. Put that text up on the line, up on the, on the screen. God's going to do something amazing through this gift this year. I can't wait to see lives transformed. And our friends from Burundi are going to come back out for you as you give. Are you ready for that? Let's give them a hand.
job. Good job, guys. I'm so proud of you, Community of Faith. Out in the lobby, there are going to be some people by the information desk to pray for you. But our friends from Burundi have about seven or eight more minutes they want to perform for you, for those of you who'd like to stay and watch it. Have a great Christmas. We love you guys so much. We'll see you for the Christmas services.